Good morning, Wyzetta Free. Thank you so much. It's so nice to get to be here. I am, I will state very clearly, I speak very differently than Peter. Peter and I have been working together for the last four years, and it has taught me more and more how different men and women are. One is, you will never see Peter carry a tube of lipstick in his back pocket. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you stole my lipstick. Okay. <laughs> Oh, okay. So he actually, he, okay. Well, okay, that's down. Um, the other thing I can guarantee you that last week when Peter spoke, he did not try on different outfits. He took what was clean. Um, whereas I went through four different outfits and still ended up with just black. So I, um, <laughs> I tried, I tried. I just am very, very excited to get to be here. There's something very sacred to me about Wyzetta Free that I want to say. There was a season of my life when I needed to be held. And I was new to the city, and what Wyzetta Free did was hold me. So there's a gratitude that I feel in getting to be here that just to, I want to say back thank you to Wyzetta Free for the places that you stand and you choose to be the arms and the hands and the bicycles and the restaurants of um, the Twin Cities. It matters. It really matters. So thank you for the, how you invest in lives. Peter is, last week talked about, in Matthew, and he talked about divorce. And next week, Kevin is going to continue on in Matthew. So they left it wide open for me to dive into Genesis. So I am very, very excited because I absolutely love Genesis. There are two things that the church has, Barna Studies recently in 2011 came out with a new study. And what they have found is that the reason, six top reasons why people are leaving the church. Young people are leaving the church. And two of those reasons are, one is the church's antagonism to science, and the second is that the church isn't saying anything relevant about sexuality that impacts them and the cultures they live in. So today we're going to talk about science and scripture together. We're going to talk about sexuality and scripture and the relevance of it. How do you build healthy marriages? Because that's the passage we're in in Matthew 19. How do you build healthy marriages? You first build healthy people. In Matthew 19, 1 and 2, I'm going to focus on just one part of it. But it says, when Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him. And he healed them there. He healed them there. Large crowds followed him. As Peter spoke so brilliantly last week about what he was talking about was the fact that the Pharisees came. And what this passage is talking about is the Pharisees came and what all they wanted to do was to divide the people. They had two different distinct groups that were saying, this is what, this is what Moses says divorce is. And, this, and the whole thing is they wanted to test Jesus for the purpose of Jesus saying, either one, picking one side or the other side. So they didn't care which one. They just wanted to divide the people. They literally were competing with Jesus, the Son of God they're competing with. Now, we'd never do that, right? We'd never do that. We'd never challenge something so deeply that we want to draw the line in the sand just so we can tell that where somebody's at and where I'm at. We'd never do that. Would we? See, how you build healthy marriages 
depends on how you build healthy people. Do we really know who we are? Do we recognize that sexuality is a part of how God has made us? Do we recognize that sexuality is more than just sex? Where genitals come together and join, it is more than sex. It is about who we are as men and women. It is about who we are made in the image of God, bearing the fingerprints of God. And I love in Matthew where Jesus sent them as he sent them back to Genesis. So we're going to go back to Genesis. And the first verse we're going to do is Genesis 2:24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's something very distinctive about one flesh. And the word is echad. And what it means is to be joined together. The very first place we see it in Scripture is Genesis 1, when God so incredibly joins the waters together into one and separates the land out. So he joins together because these waters go together. So there is a joining together that happens in the flesh when a man and a woman come together. Yes, they join together. What science is now showing us is that when we join together in the flesh, we get scripted into one another's brains. My husband carries a portion of me in his brain. I carry a portion of my husband in my brain. We are joined together in a way that I am not joined to others. I'm not meant to be joined to others. That impacts me emotionally, spiritually, and sexually. To be joined together in one flesh is part of what Jesus is addressing when the Pharisees are coming to him. Jesus is addressing something that's far beyond just divorce and marriage. He's like, guys, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I get that you've got these things. But the truth is, you have an opportunity here. You want to come with? Let's go back to Genesis. Let, let, let me show you what's there. The second verse we're going to look at is Genesis 2.25, and it is, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, there's two things I want to tell, three things I want to tell you about this. The man and his wife, we often translate it man and his wife. That word is actually isha, and what it actually means in Hebrew is woman. So the woman, the man and the woman, and part of that is because I think this has far-reaching elements for us to embrace about who we are as men and women as well as in marriage. But it's not just about marriage, because in the garden, the man and the woman were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, I have three little boys that I get to take care of on occasion that are under four. Two of them are twins. And they uh, when I go take care, I do not do it alone, believe me. But when I go to take care of them, the parents informed a friend and I do this and the parents informed us. They said, you know, the kids kind of have the favorite time at night is when they get to. They do nakey time. It's, you know, and then they just feel their whole skin and they're just like, and they run wild and crazy and it's wonderful and it's this wonderful thing. Well, that was kind of my vision of what the garden was like. You know, everybody just ran around naked and they had great time. It's fun. You know, just everything. Well, these little boys, I, a couple, a while back, I took care of them and I didn't, the parents didn't tell me that they left the diapers on <laughs> during this time. And so I had three boys. And I raised girls. I had three boys under the age of three at the time that um, were not potty trained. 
it was um, so being naked was uh, brought on a whole new meaning to me. But that was kind of what I thought the garden was, was, you know, just everybody ran around just frolicking like these little boys do and just loving it and very, very happy. But the, na- the word naked actually means erom in Hebrew. And what it actually means is open and vulnerable to the power of God and to another. How do you build healthy marriages? You build healthy people. You call out who people were intended to be and you remind them that the way they were actually designed and created was to be first naked, open and vulnerable to God. The second part of that verse is they were unashamed. And it's in Hebrew, the word unashamed is boss and it B-O-S. And basically what it means is acting wisely and seeing as God sees. So, I mean, my paraphrase of the verse is, um, and the man and the woman were both open and vulnerable to the power of God and acting wisely as they saw as God, they saw as God sees. Do we really want to be naked and unashamed with one another? How do you build healthy marriages? You start by recognizing we are created in the image of God, made in the image of God, intentionally on purpose, bearing God's fingerprints for the purpose of not just being able to see who we are, but to be able to more fully see who another is. And when we do that, when we do that, we are living as one. As we were intended to be. We're living from the fullness of the fingerprints of who we, whose image we bear. God's image. Now one verse I don't have up on the screen for you, but I will read it, read it to you. It's Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make humankind in our own image. According to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. God created humankind in his own image. God created male and female. God created them. We are made in the image of God. And the only way we will ever see the image of God in another is if we first see the image of God in who we are so we can actually see as God sees and see another. Now, there's something else in here that's, um, in, that really ties us in as I'm saying this, and it ties with science, is um, everybody here have a brain? I hope so. Good. We're going to test it. Can you raise your right hand? Can you touch your nose? Can you touch your knee? Can you snap your finger? Okay. What you just did is you responded to a brain pattern. Your body responded to my voice and you followed the the actions that I gave you. Here's the thing is we're all, we all have brain patterns and they create these deep caverns through which we view and we see the world. What actually sciences are actually telling us is that when a new thought comes, it literally, the first thing it does is it bounces off of our brain because it doesn't have a pathway to flow down. 
So there's like this resistance if there's something new. So I'm standing here today telling you that God created us as sexual and spiritual beings intentionally on purpose. And he said, that is very good. Now, if you've never heard that before, your brain's going, what? It is very good. But this is also what science is telling us. Is that new patterns that begin to form where old patterns are starting, once old patterns are taken over, is the new thought actually grabs hold tighter and grows stronger and deeper to cover over old negative brain patterns. Interesting. I think I've heard that in scripture before. Take captive every thought and bring it in line with the truth of who God is. And it grabs hold and it reminds us that our deepest, deepest identity is not in what this world says sexuality and spirituality is. It's in what God says. We are created as sexual and spiritual beings. And yes, we bear the image of God. And God also says, that's good. That is so very good. How do you build healthy marriages? You build healthy people that recognize that their DNA is rooted first in the identity of who God is. And then from there, we can dare to look at another and go, oh, I'm going to be vulnerable with this person. It's a risk. But I'm going to, from the place of knowing who God is and who I am in God, I can dare to risk opening myself up and being vulnerable to God and to another. I've been married 31 years and have absolutely greatest guy. Absolutely love my husband. He's unbelievable. But he also drives me crazy. I love him to pieces. I don't always like him. But you know what? He doesn't always like me. But from that place of one being joined together, the joining is much deeper than just a physical union. It's an emotional, a spiritual union that says to me, I, because when I risk being vulnerable, when I risk being open, I'm like, oh, God, he... I might get hurt if I'm open emotionally. I might get hurt if I'm open spiritually. Yeah, you might. But you bear my image. You bear my image and together we will be open and vulnerable. And I will give you the eyes to see. I will give you the eyes to see how to see this man that you are in partnership with. It's risky, very risky. How do you build healthy marriages? You build healthy people. People that dare to risk seeing the image of God that they bear so that they can also see the image of God that another bears. One of the most beautiful things about getting to work with men that I find is the fact of the matter is they don't see the world like I see it. They really don't. Peter included. I, no matter how hard I try to bend, can't quite get him to see the world like I do. 
But what we've found in teaching together, which I think is really interesting, is we've found that because of how men are designed to see the world and how women see the world, when we dare to risk being vulnerable and going, okay, God, I want to see the image of God in you, it becomes more. I see more when I dare to let go of my driven in the stake ground of trying to compete with one another and go, wait a minute, God, I, I need to see what you see. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. And you know what? I come up over and over again. I am absolutely shocked and marvel at the world through another's eyes. I marvel at how my husband views this world. I marvel and am so confused sometimes. But you know what? It takes work. Real work. Am I going to dare to see the image of God in myself so that I can also then see it in another? See, the Pharisees in Matthew, they were competing. But they were competing with more than just one another. They were competing with Jesus. Because they weren't coming to ask a question about how they could become more. They weren't coming to ask a hard question of, God, what does it mean? This marriage thing, what does it mean? They weren't coming asking a question because they were very, very happy consuming what God had designed for them to be in communion with. They had no idea what it meant to be in communion with what God intended. All they knew was consumption. I will consume, I will kill power, I will get what I want. We'd never do that, right? We'd never do that in marriage, would we? God never designed us to be in competition with each other. Men, women, married, single. God never designed that. God designed us to be men and women that are open and vulnerable to the power of God and be able to see one another as God sees. That is not possible without intention, without choosing to say, you know, yeah, I, I got to go back to the garden. <laughs> I don't, I, don't, I don't know how else to show you guys. You guys want this. You can choose this. But I, I, got, I got something better. And Jesus so masterfully takes them back to the garden and says, I have something more. And I believe that's why those crowds were following Jesus. And Jesus healed them. There is no darkness that God will not shine light into. There is no darkness that God fears. There is no place we can run that God will not find us. Because God has already been there. You were created in the image of God. We bear the fingerprints of our Creator. How do you build healthy marriages? 
You build healthy people that dare to risk. God, I'm not really sure. I don't don't know if I can. I'm going to get hurt. Yeah, you probably are. It's okay. We'll get hurt. But I will show you how to see another, how to unfold yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually to another. I will show you how to do that because you bear my fingerprints. Brain patterns. They're hard to change, but they can. Science has shown us we can change them. I got this quote handed to me this week, and I um, share it with you. It's from Donald Miller. I want to keep my soul fertile for changes so things keep getting born in me, so things keep dying when it's time for them to die. I want to keep walking away from the person I was a moment ago because my mind was made by God to figure things out, not keep reading the same page. How fertile is our mind for change? How willing are we to recognize and value that naked and unashamed is the risk that God has invited us into between men and women to dare to see the fullness of how we marriage was intended to be. I'm going to close with just reading a blessing over you. In the busyness of this day, oh God, grant me a stillness of seeing. In the conflicting voices of my heart and head, grant me a calmness of hearing. Let my seeing and hearing, my words and my actions, be rooted in a silent certainty of your presence and your identity. Let my passions for life and the longing for life that stirs within me be grounded in the experience of your stillness. I am made in your image. I bear your likeness. And it is good. So very good.